0: It is difficult at 33 to comprehend the heartache that some of you have experienced. I have not lost a spouse or a child. I have never been divorced. And so, because of that, I am thankful that I do not preach on my own authority. And I pray that I would be faithful to the word of God, which is able to speak to the deepest heartaches. And I believe that the passage that we are going to look at today has hope for broken people in it. So I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. And we're going to look at Exodus chapters 5 and 6 together today. It is also difficult to comprehend the heartache of the Israelites, to imagine the cruel labor that they endured, to imagine the centuries of being told by the Egyptians that they were subhuman, only good for brute work, that killing them was no different than killing an animal. To have Pharaoh attempt to thin their population the same way an animal population would be managed. I think one of the sweetest verses in all of Exodus is Exodus chapter 4 verse 31 where it says this. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel... And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. When the people heard Moses' message and saw his miraculous signs, they believed. They believed that the promises that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had received were about to be fulfilled. They had hope. They knew that God had heard their prayers. And you know, they they endured this for 400 years, this slavery. You can't imagine the endless nights staring up at the sky, wondering if God heard their prayers, wondering why God was not doing anything, knowing that they were children of promise and yet not experiencing the joys and fulfillment of those promises And here for the first time in centuries, they have hope. They believe. And their hope moved their hearts to praise God for His compassion and for His promise to save not a future generation, but them in their generation, in their time. You can read about their past suffering in the first two chapters of Exodus, and we talked about that some last week. Their affliction was real. And understand that the pain and the heartache that you and I experience is being spoken to directly in these verses. And when we receive the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, our grief can become worship as we recognize who God is. But very often, when you put your trust in God, things get worse, not better. And that is exactly what happens here. I have three points today. I want to see the people broken. I want to see the identity of God. We want to see the promise inherited. So the people broken, the identity of God and the promise inherited. And first, I want to look at the broken people and how they were broken. So look with me at Exodus chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Afterward, so after the people believe, after their move to worship, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? When Moses goes and gives the same message to Pharaoh that he has given to the children of Israel, rather than believing the Word of God and releasing the people of God, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And you can see his disdain for God's people when he says, Get back to your burdens. That's all you're good for. You don't need worship in your lives. And then he increases their burdens. He calls God a liar. He says to the taskmasters, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. In rejecting Moses, Pharaoh very clearly calls God a liar. He sets himself up in opposition to the God who has pledged and committed to save his people. And in order to make sure that the people of God don't believe God's promises, he wants to discredit them. And so he gives the taskmasters instructions to beat the foremen. So understand the taskmasters are Egyptians. The foremen are Hebrews who are responsible for leading each of the labor teams. Read with me what happens in verses 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. So the taskmasters beat the foreman, and the foreman cry out, and it's easy to read those verses too quickly. I want to encourage you when you read the Scriptures to try and have an emotional connection with them. To try and recognize what is happening in this history. Imagine the swollen lips of these foremen. Imagine their bruises, perhaps their broken bones. Imagine going home to your wife disfigured, from a beating and collapsing from exhaustion. And after a night full of pain and not enough sleep, as some of your cuts have begun to heal and you stretch and rip them open again fresh in the morning, you get up too early with your body aching because you know if you don't go to work, they will kill you. And in their pain they cry out to Moses and Aaron. First they go to the the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to them, verse 17, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. And so they met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So just a few days after the people worshipped, From a place of belief. They are crushed. And they ask God to bring judgment. Not on Pharaoh. But on Moses. Because they no longer believe. That God will save them. Things are worse. And so Moses. Also crushed. Cries out to God. Read with me verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Sometimes people in pain wonder if they can say things like this to God. This is a very honest prayer. And we don't hear a lot of prayers like this in church. But all of us have had times when it seems like God has done something evil and we do not understand why. And I want you to notice God's incredible reply. So verse 5 shows the people broken. Now let's look at the identity of God. And read with me in chapter 6. Verse 1 through verse 8. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, Give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Notice before he says anything about himself. In God's reply. He says that his power is so great. That Pharaoh himself. Will send the people out of Egypt. There is nothing more humiliating. Than being forced to do something against your will. And that is the beginning of God's judgment on Pharaoh. That Pharaoh will change his mind so completely that the thing he pledges he will not do, he will voluntarily do by the time God is done with him. Notice also, God does not respond either to the children of Israel or Or to Moses in anger. There are times in Exodus that God clearly is angry with Moses. You actually see that just a chapter earlier as Moses tells God no, no, no. Over and over again in spite of God's continuing demonstration to him that he will be with him and he will do the work. But here, here in a place of brokenness, God is not angry. God does two things. He reminds them of his name, and he makes all of his promises fresh again. So out of a place of brokenness, the first thing God does is he reminds them who he is. Look with me at verses 2 through 5 again. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. So this is all review. This is all past history. God reviews his name. He says, I am the Lord. And if you're reading with me, notice that the word Lord in all of these verses is is in all capital letters. The reason is, it's because the Hebrew name Yahweh is being used. Sometimes that's pronounced Jehovah. That's the name that God gives to Moses at the burning bush, and it means I am. It's a name that means God needs nothing, and is all-powerful, and will never change. And he reminds Moses of the history behind that name. He established his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He saw his people suffering. He remembered his covenant. And as a result of his name and past promises, he makes seven more promises to his people. And I would encourage you, one of the things that I did as I went through this, I underlined all all the times that God says, I will, I will, I will, over and over again. God makes these commitments to his people. And I'm going to say more about this in just a moment, but I want you to notice something. There are no conditions here. God does not say, I will save you if you do these things. God says, I will save you. I have pledged to do it. My name is at stake, and I will do these things. And salvation does not depend on you or I doing anything even still. God does not say, if you do anything, he says, I will do these things. And he invites us to trust him. But the people are so broken that they can't even hear it. Look with me at verse nine. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. So God actually told him in verse six, therefore, to the people of Israel, say all these things. Review my promises with them. Give them hope. And then in verse 9, when Moses does that, it says, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Not because their hearts are hard and they're rejecting his message, but because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They can't hear it. Verse 9, I think, is one of the most heartbreaking in all of Scripture. Because these are the people, these are the same people who were worshiping God in hope at the end of chapter 4. They believed and they bowed their heads in worship, and now their heads are bowed in brokenness and they can't even believe. Have you ever had that experience? You might know in some sense what's true, but you feel like the good news of the Bible doesn't even apply to you. I watched a video this past week with a man named Peter Adam. Peter Adam is a guy, he's been preaching for probably somewhere around 50 years. He's in his 70s. And he gave an incredible testimony of his battle with depression. How 30 years ago, After an Easter Sunday, he started crying, and he didn't know why, and he couldn't stop. And he has battled with depression for 30 years. He said at one point it was so bad, he wanted to die so he would not eat. His choice of suicide was to simply waste away slowly. That's brokenness. And he was a pastor. He knew the word of God. He knew what he needed to believe, but he felt that all of God's promises applied to someone else. He said people would come up to him and thank him for a message that he preached or some ministry that he had engaged in and say, that spoke to me, that meant to me. And he would immediately say, well, I'm very glad that God chose to use that, but I don't think I had anything to do with it. He's been on medication for 30 years. That's brokenness. That's depression. And for those who are broken, I believe God offers incredible hope. There are times when well-meaning people will come along with a verse like Romans 8.28 saying, God works all things together for good. You might want to punch him in the face because it seems impossible to believe. It seems like it doesn't apply to you. I believe that these chapters show us that God is greater than our brokenness. And so I want to encourage you to look with me at my last point today. The inheritance of promise. The inheritance of promise. So we have seen... The people broken, we have seen the identity of God. Now look with me at the inheritance of promise. And I'm going to read this in two sections. So starting in verse 10, let's read through 13. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The most important thing about this is that God doesn't say, Well, this won't work if you just have enough faith. You just need to believe and then I'll rescue you. The people are left in broken depression and don't seem capable of belief. And God responds to their depression by commissioning Moses and Aaron again. They have a sort of second burning bush experience as God sends them again and he upholds them. And when it says he gives them a charge, it's a responsibility, it's a sacred pledge. And he is the one that guarantees that they will accomplish the mission he gives them. So in a place of brokenness, God says, trust me. And if you don't feel like you can trust me, I will do this work. And then we get to a genealogy. The last half of chapter 6 records the families that are being spoken about here. And I entitled this section, this point in my message, The Inheritance of Promise, because this genealogy is critical. A lot of times people try to read through the Bibles and they'll get through a giant list of names and they'll do one of two things. They'll quickly skip the list of names or... They'll try very carefully to read through them. They find a bunch of names that are difficult to pronounce, that they've never heard of before, and it ends up being a confusing mess. But I think it's critical to understand this is actually a critical part of what God is doing with these people. So I want to urge you, I'm going to read through this crazy list of names, and then I'm going to say just a couple of things about it because these verses are critical about why God's promises are true to them. So read with me verse 14 of chapter 6. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul. And the son of a Canaanite woman, these are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. And the sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi. And these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years, and the sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri, and the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar and the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar Aaron's son took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. And these are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. At first glance, these seem like just a meaningless list of names, but genealogies in the Bible are always critical. God made his promises to Abraham about his physical family. He said, your children will inherit the promise. And as Moses and Aaron lay claim to the promises that God just reminded them of in chapter 6, it's critical that they demonstrate they have a legitimate claim to the promise. It's like cashing a check. You take a check to the bank. You need a license to prove that you deserve the money that the check Promises. And a genealogy is a form of identification. And Moses and Aaron are about to cash in on one of the biggest promises God has ever made. So, as they claim this promise, they say, This is who we are. Notice they are pointing directly back to Israel, who inherited the promise from his father who inherited the promise from Abraham. And notice that it focuses in on Aaron specifically. You actually don't have all 12 tribes of Israel listed. You have the first two sons of Abraham, and then you have Levi, and it seems that they're demonstrating where Levi fits in with Abraham's family for the sake of saying Aaron comes from this man, who is a son of Israel, who is a son of Jacob, who is a son of Abraham. It's showing how both he and Moses come from the tribe of Levi, and it is demonstrating that Aaron and Moses have a place in God's people, and they are about to act on the basis of his promise, saying, we are part of God's people. That's why it says so repeatedly, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. They have a right to this promise. And I want to say two things about this, because as we talk about how a family might inherit the promises of God, it's really important to understand two things. First, people in the Old Testament outside that family were always able and welcome to come to God and I'll give you two examples right away Rahab and Ruth are both Gentiles both women who have no claim to the promise of God based on their inheritance and yet they are welcomed into the people of God by faith And so I want to make that perfectly clear. The promises of God to bless the world do come through a physical line that culminates in Jesus Christ. And that physical line is important. It lets us know Jesus can be our savior because he is a man just like us. And yet he is more than that. But if Jesus weren't a human, he couldn't save us. And this genealogy is part of that piece. So, as it demonstrates they have a right to claim God's promise, it also reminds us that Jesus Christ comes from this physical family as well. And so that's my second point. The first point about a genealogy is people outside the family could come. The second point is Jesus is the one who completely inherits the promises made to Abraham. So now if you and I look to Jesus Christ in faith... All of the promises made to God's people are available to us in Christ. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All the promises of God are a yes to us in Christ. So what do these two chapters in Exodus have to do with you and I today? Well, I think from these two chapters in Exodus, there is an incredibly pointed application for broken and depressed people. What do you do when you're broken? First, you you remember who God is, and second, you remember who you are. You remember who God is, and you remember who you are. And understand this, the most important part of this is that God is faithful to His promises. Understanding who God is has to come first, because you will not understand who you are unless you know first who God is. When we are broken We need to start by remembering who God is. God showed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and promised to bless them. He revealed himself to Moses and showed his power. But to us, he has shown his power and his love in the cross of Jesus Christ. So, as God points back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his past promises to demonstrate to Moses, I will save you. I will redeem you. We can point to those things as well. But we can point to an even greater evidence of God's love in the cross of Jesus Christ and an even greater evidence of his power in the empty tomb that demonstrated that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you wonder what God is like? I urge you to look at the cross and know that God is love. If you are in a place of brokenness, I would encourage you to meditate deeply on what Jesus did For you. The first step for when you are broken is to remember who God is. And that is most clearly seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that means the most important thing about who you are is whether or not you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, all of the promises of God are yes to you. So we saw that there were seven promises that God gave the children of Israel. Each of them, if you are in Christ, is given to you. And I want to take the time at the end of this message to show you how each of these seven promises is yours. So that you can cling to them and remember that they are for you. So first, go back to Exodus 6 with me. Look with me at verse 6. We'll go through these one by one. God says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's number one. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It does not matter what type of burden you have. Jesus promises rest for you. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus also said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And just as God promised to deliver Israel from slavery, that's the second promise he gives you. Go back to Exodus, look at Exodus. The the second thing he says in the last half of verse 6 is, I will deliver you from slavery... God promises you and I that He would deliver us from slavery. If you have time, I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 6. The whole chapter describes how we have been set free because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read you one verse from Romans chapter 8. And This is Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus From the law of sin and death. You were once a slave to sin. But Jesus Christ has set you free. From the power of sin. The third promise. That God gave to these children of Israel. Is that he would redeem them. With acts of judgment. So after he says. I will will bring you out from under your burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. The last thing in verse 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment and to believers who suffer for their belief Jesus said great is your reward in heaven that's Matthew chapter 5 but not only that several times in the new testament god promises future judgment on those who reject his promises and persecute his people and so i want to read to you a passage from second Thessalonians this is second Thessalonians Chapter 1, and I'm going to read you verses 6 through 10. This is, this is Paul writing to a church of believers who are suffering for their faith. and He says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed the entire book of revelation describes how this will happen when the Lord Jesus returns God will rescue his people and judge those who have persecuted them but right now the invitation is open to everyone to become part of God's people so the gospel is both an incredible invitation of hope and also a warning for those who reject God's Savior Jesus Christ God promises to those who embrace the Lord Jesus that he will rescue them with judgments. The fourth promise he gives is that he will take these people to be his people. So, look with me again in Exodus. He says, verse 7, I will take you to be my people. And understand that, that back when this was written, the gods of the ancient Near East are all regional family gods. So a family without a God is unprotected. And God is saying, I will take you to be my people. Now in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7, you find these next two promises really go together. And I'm going to show you two different passages that demonstrate that this is true for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. So Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to read 4 through 7. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He is ours. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, he is your Father, he is my Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God says, I will be your God. And that's the second half. As he takes us to be his people, the next promise is not only I will take you to be my people, but I will be your God. And I want to say a word about this again. I want to remind you, Ruth shows that this was possible even in the Old Testament. She is a Gentile who follows God and is blessed. But Ephesians shows clearly how this invitation is open to all in Christ. So I want to read you a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God you are gods and god is yours. And the sixth promise that God makes is to bring you into the land. So so back in Exodus chapter 6 I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. That's verse 7 and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt verse 8 I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Now this happens in a couple of ways in the New Testament. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and take you with me, that where I am you may be also. So he is preparing a place, and he will bring us to that place. Hebrews also talks about the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem that God is preparing and Romans talks about the new heavens and the new earth that God will create. He is making a place for us. And not only does he prepare that place, the last promise that God gives his people is, I will give it to you for a possession. And the last passage I want to read is back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11-14. through 14. Paul writes, In Christ, in him, So verse 11 and verse 14 both demonstrate that we have an inheritance promised to us by God and that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment, as a guarantee that we will come into possession of that inheritance. The critical question for each of us today is, are we in Christ or are we not in Christ? Because if you are in Christ, you have a claim to each of these promises. Just as Moses and Aaron could show the genealogy that gave them a right to claim the promises of God. So you and I can point to scripture and say, these are all yes to us in Jesus Christ. But only if your faith is placed in him. Jesus says that he will never turn away anyone who calls on him. So I would invite you today, if you don't know the Lord, to call out to him. Trust that he died for you and rose from the dead and respond in faith and obedience. Express that faith by being baptized, by saying, I deserve to die for my sins, but I believe that Jesus died for me and I am raised to walk in newness of life. And if you do know the Lord today... I want to encourage you to rest in His promises. So as I close, let me give you some of them. Know that He hears your prayers. He has promised to do that. Know that He will never leave you or forsake you. One of the deepest agonies of depression is a feeling of complete isolation. And whether you can believe it or not, God has promised that He is with you. Know that He will keep your soul safe. Know that He will work all things together for your good. And if you are in a place of brokenness, and if you are struggling to believe, I want to encourage you to think of the passage that we have looked at today, and to see what God did for broken people who struggled to cling to His promises he rescued them. And he will rescue you. Let's pray. Our father in heaven. You are a mighty and a powerful savior. And Lord for all of the brokenness that we have experienced. We do struggle to rest in you. And I ask that you would. Help us to believe. Pray that you would strengthen our faith. And I ask that you would allow us to see your salvation. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.